Thank you, Chad. Things are busy, aren't they? The year is going by quick, but uh, we hope you get someplace that you can plug in and find ways you can use your giftedness. If you open up your Bibles, we are going through the book of Romans, and we are starting chapter 10. Uh, we're just going to knock out the first four verses this week, um, and, and then we'll, we'll dig into the rest of it later on as we go each week. Today, we're going to consider the message that Paul sought to share with the Jews. I mean, he was, he was surrounded by uh, those who were very passionate about their religious practices and, and their traditions. Unfortunately, many of them had refused to acknowledge or accept the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ, and, and they weren't believing in Him and putting their faith in Him for their salvation. And Paul understood the struggles that they were going through because he too had been brought up the same way, in a strict adherence to the law of Moses because he was Jewish in his upbringing. And he even became a Pharisee as he grew older and in life. But he came to realize that Jesus was the only one who could deliver him from sins. Now, unfortunately for him, it, it transpired in a very uh, unnormal way as he's on a road to Damascus going to persecute these who put their faith in Jesus, and he was confronted there by Christ himself. Paul was just simply seeking to keep the demands of the law and adhering to the strict religious practices, not realizing that they would never put him in a right relationship with God. And while he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul still possesses this passion, this desire to see his fellow Jews come to know Christ. And he wants to share a little bit as he's going through this book of Romans. He takes a few chapters to talk with them. He continues his appeal to the Jews, and he's already shown them that they have had numerous opportunities through the years to understand what God was desiring for them in, in salvation. He wants them to know that God is still working with them to bring them to faith, not just to practice. This chapter is all about what God is doing to bring men to Himself. And in the verses that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see that salvation is offered through Jesus. And one of the common misunderstandings that takes place in our day is somehow it, that we believe that men cooperate with God in our own salvation. That if we're good enough and if we do enough good things, that we will eventually get God to acknowledge us and say, you know, you're a person I want up here in heaven. But that's far from the truth. People believe that they must be good to be accepted or that they must do certain things to please the Lord and earn His good favor. However, nothing can be further from the truth. It's not about how good you are. It's not about all the good deeds you do. It's not about all the generous money that you give to High Hill Camp or any other mission and ministry. I mean, those are all wonderful things, but they're not going to earn you a place in heaven. Now, with this in mind, I want us to consider this, the characteristics of Paul's approach as he's writing this letter that he has this burden for his fellow Jews. To begin with, as we look at chapter 10, we discover there is an urgent request. And so he writes this, Brothers, in verse 1, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Did you catch that? 
My heart's desire and prayer for them is that they may be saved. His prayer was sincere. Paul isn't half-hearted about any of this. He, he's, he is desperately wanting the people of Israel to come to know Christ. It's not something that he thought of on just an occasion. This is something that he thought of on a regular basis. Daily he was praying for them. He was generally burdened for them, and he continued to carry this responsibility to bring them to a relationship with Christ. And he wanted them to know about this, even though God has called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. This desire has placed him in a very precarious position with his fellow Jews throughout his life. Many times, the ones whom he was seeking to introduce to Jesus are the very ones who were, who were arresting him, who were beating him, who were even stoning him and leaving him for dead. They were the ones who were accosting him on, on a regular basis, and yet he's going to persist in trying to introduce them to Jesus. He wants to share this message with them. His passion for them has been the same passion that he's discussed back in chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 3. He understood that the snare that they were trapped in because he was there himself at one point. Warren Wiersbe, in his, in his book, Be Right, as he's talking about this book of Romans, he says this, There was a time when Paul would have agreed with his people. For he himself opposed the gospel and considered Jesus to be an imposter. Israel considers the Gentiles in need of salvation, but certainly not the Jews. He goes on and he says, Israel would have been happy for political salvation from Rome, but she did not feel that she needed spiritual salvation from her own sins. Paul also lived the life of a Pharisee. He, he kept the letter of law to the very strictest point. And he assumed that by doing so, it would create an acceptance before God for him. But he was misguided. You see, we need to see people as they are and admit that they have needs. Just as Paul is looking at the Jewish people around him, realizing they have a need for salvation. We need a burden that is sincere and not superficial, and it must be more than something we talk about on Sunday morning. We need to sincerely be in prayer on a regular basis for our family and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors, for the world around us that are without Christ. The second thing I discover in this request is that his prayer was substantial. He wasn't seeking just some small thing. He was burdened for the entire nation of Israel, millions of people. He was wanting them to, to come to understand that Jesus was their Messiah that they've been waiting for and looking for all these years. While he knows that most are not going to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, he can't help but ask God to step in and intervene for them. Now, he's not asking God to justify them in some special, unique, dispensational way because he knows that it's only through Jesus that they're going to find salvation. He knows that God is able to reach them because even if it's impossible for man, it is possible for God. And Paul's not in the business of doubting God's ability. He had the attitude the same as those Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Daniel, that even if God's not going to do something, he's still going to put his faith in God, and God's going to see them through no matter what. 
And he knew that this was going to happen. And maybe God would send somebody else, if not him, that somebody else would be able to take the message to them and they would hear it and they would believe and they would put their faith in Christ. I think we also need to assume that we need to pray in a very substantial way as well. Somehow we may have reached the assumption that maybe America is too far gone for God to care about us. But trust me, we're not. We need to be burdened and pray for those around us in this nation. And and maybe someday it may really become a Christian nation. But until that takes place, we've got to pray for them. Pray that they find Christ to be the one that offers them salvation. So how are you praying? Are you? His prayer was specific as well when we look at just these verses here. I'm confident that there were physical, there were social, and maybe even economic needs of Israel at the time that Paul is writing this letter. But that wasn't his focus. His desire and his focus was not about those things, though those are all well and good to pray about. His focus was about their spiritual life and their connection with Christ. And so he sought that the Lord would reach in and introduce himself to that need. You know, I fear that we have come accustomed to, to praying in a very casual, generic way. We pray for, you know, our aunt because she's having surgery this weekend. We pray for our neighbor because maybe they had a house fire and maybe it can be restored. We pray for whatever. We, we get surface-level prayers. But we need to learn to pray specifically and address individual needs before the Lord by calling out names of people who don't know Him. And that maybe God will directly intervene in their life, maybe through you, as Willie said, that you might be the instrument to reach out and share your faith with them. When was the last time you prayed specifically for somebody who doesn't know Jesus? And you named names. When was the last time somebody prayed for you specifically? Because your faith needs to be strengthened. I mean, these are important things that we need to consider. Now, the Jews, verse 2, Paul is going to bear witness. He, he wants us to understand they have this unquestionable record about their zeal for God and their fervent desire to, to please Him in ways, all right? And so we look at verse 2 and it says, For I bear with them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Hmm. Paul was ready to testify on their behalf. I mean, he says, I know about how zealous they are. He, he re- recognized that it was evident in their lives and how they lived and about the things they went about on a daily basis. They have been guilty, however, of many things, but they were never guilty for their lack of zeal for God. Paul had been just like them until he came face to face with Jesus. We'll look at just a couple passages of Scripture where he talks about how zealous he was like these people. So if you go back into the book of Acts, chapter 22, beginning in verse 3, he's talking to the people in Jerusalem just as they're about to arrest him and send him for a beating. And he's been taken by the the, the tribune and cohort 
and he's about to go into the prison barracks to be protected for a while. He says, oh, let me talk to them about a second. Let them, let them hear what I have to say. So he stops and he says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of, the, of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Now, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He was zealous for the cause of the kingdom of Israel and for God. And he opposed this way of Christ. He'll go on into the churches in Galatia and he'll write to them this in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11 through 17. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For if you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I was persecuted, the church of God, violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of... You know, sometimes... You've got to go quiet, my friend. You are quiet. What are you doing? All right. Let me go back to this. He said, I did not receive this from any man, but this was revealed to me by Jesus Christ. All right? For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. He said, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own uh, among my people, my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers But when he who had set me apart before I was born, or who had called me by his grace, was to please to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul was zealous for the law of God, and to see that people kept that law, even killing those who refused. Now, now that's, that's some zeal, isn't it? And he was given permission by the rulers to do this until he met Jesus face to face. I know that many of us are zealous about certain causes today. We live our lives dedicated to things that we believe in, right? And, and we give of our time and our energy, and we, we support it with our finances, and we show up and we, we, we get behind them, and we, we talk to people all about these causes that we believe in. Commitment is to be admired, but sadly, many people are committed to the wrong things. The Jews, they present a challenge to the average Christian today. How does our zeal compare 
with the zeal that they possessed. Could it be said that we have genuine zeal for God and His things? However, Paul's going to say their zeal was incompetent. Though they were very zealous about God, it got them nowhere. Paul says that they had the zeal for God, but, accord, but not according to knowledge. The word knowledge means having a correct, full, complete, or an experiential knowledge of truth, which is the gospel of Jesus. The Jews, they were very zealous about their traditions and adherence to the law, and they lacked, however, the fullness of the things of God. They only understood it in part, and they embraced the law of Moses, but they rejected the Son of God whom the law of Moses was leading them to. Their passion was evident, and it was consuming, but it lacked the fullness of God's grace. Had they read the law of Moses and the prophets correctly, they would have recognized Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies concerning their Messiah. And they would have embraced him and celebrated him with joy. Matter of fact, they did that that one day as he was entering Jerusalem. But then they turned their backs on him immediately within days and they crucified him. You see, their lack of knowledge due to their own stubborn refusal to either see or hear Jesus as Messiah was inexcusable, Paul says. Now, I think here we have one biblical idea or an answer to an idea that's held by many people, even in our generation today, that if a man is zealous about something and is very sincere about it, and he puts forth that he believes in this with all of his heart, that somehow God is going to accept that. Just because you say something is true does not make it true. Because God is only true. No matter how zealous we are for things, no matter how much we believe in it, it's never going to make us right with God. The only thing that does that is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2 says, Desire, or zeal, is another translation. Without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. The Jews' zeal was blameworthy, not because of its ultimate objective, which was God, but because of the way they sought to honor Him. Now that's going to be explained in the next verse that we'll get into. I think there are many people who are sincere today about things, but they're sincerely wrong. They see God as one who loves, but they lack the understanding of accountability to righteousness and His demands because He is a holy God. I think there are few people in our world, in our generation today, that fully grasp the whole concept of God and the fullness of God. They assume that by their good deeds that God is going to acknowledge them and accept them and give them a place in heaven. But they lack the knowledge of the salvation that is offered by Jesus Christ and the grace that He brings. Many people believe that there is an eternal heaven, but they refuse to accept that Jesus is the only way to get there.
So there's this unknown risk that the Jews have adopted in their uh, understanding here. Proverbs 10.3, he goes on and he says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Their ignorance puts them in danger. Paul's charge about them being ignorant of God's righteousness is tied directly with their lack of knowledge. He's already said in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from the faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by keeping the law. No. The righteous shall live by faith. He goes on in chapter 3, and he talks about the righteousness of God, beginning in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, catch this, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received, how? By faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded, Paul says. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of law. But they didn't know about God's righteousness. How could they be blamed for not having it? Well, not knowing does not mean that they were unaware of it completely and they were totally ignorant of it. It means that they did not acknowledge or accept it. Right? There are two types of ignorance. One, there is ignorance that is due to the inability to know the facts about something. If I don't know about it, how can I be guilty of it, right? So Paul tells us in Romans 4, 15, that for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's one type of ignorance. Another type of ignorance is due to a willful suppression of the facts. Romans 1.18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The Jews have this second type of ignorance. They knew about it. They'd heard it. Jesus had even proclaimed it. And yet they are saying, no, this can't be. They had embraced the law and they sought to carry it out to the fullest. They even imposed, imposed other man-made laws to back these up in an effort to achieve righteousness that God demanded. They assumed that living according to law was good enough. But they didn't fully understand God's holiness and what He expected from us. Faith in Jesus. 
And I think there are a lot of people that are in the same condition today. We're surrounded by people who, who believe that being good, having a, a wonderful, good, quality, moral life is all that is required to get into heaven. Well, God will never send a, a good person to hell, will He? I mean, they're good. I've never seen them do anything wrong. They think that if their good deeds outweigh the bads, that they will be accepted by God. But these people are completely ignorant of the righteousness of God. God's righteousness and the standards of righteousness, those remain in effect to us and which we measure our own merit by. In ourselves, we can never achieve the level of righteousness that is desired by God to get into heaven because our righteousness is unacceptable. And we can only obtain righteousness through Christ. And His righteousness then will be imputed to us. It will be clothed us. We're only worthy through Him. And so the Jews, in all their diligence, and all their efforts, they really got nowhere, is what happens. While going about trying to establish their own righteousness, they wandered off course. They were convinced that righteousness could be achieved through keeping the law, and they were persistent in that pursuit. They were zealous about that. They're literally, like a lot of people, seeking to work their way into heaven. If I can do enough good, if I can give enough money, if I can be the type of person that God wants me to be, and, and I no longer cuss or chew or go with girls that do, I want to get there right? It's not going to cut it. Just by being obedient to all the rules doesn't mean we've done it correctly. <coughs> Patsy Dancy was a student nurse. One of her jobs was to assist the patients who were being discharged from the hospital by taking a wheelchair to the room and then pushing them down to the exit to their vehicle. They don't want you walking out of the hospital. <laughs> they want you in your own vehicle so it's on your insurance dollar if you slip and fall, right? So they get you out there. So she had one day had gone up to a room. She found this patient sitting on the bed, fully dressed with luggage right there at, at his feet. Patsy says she offered to, to put him in the wheelchair and take him down to the front door, and he refused. He said, I don't need a wheelchair. But she continued to insist that he needed that wheelchair. And she says, it's our hospital policy. And she insisted, rules are rules, and you need to obey the rules. So you're going to get in here. Finally, he complied, and he got in the wheelchair after begrudgingly arguing with her about it for a while. And she began to push him down. Well, on their way down to the door, she began to strike up some conversation with him. And she asked him, will your wife be meeting you? He said, I don't know. She's up in the room changing out of her hospital gown. <laughs> rules are rules. Sometimes we are misguided, even when we think we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do, right? And we totally miss it. The biggest misconception among men today is that we believe that if we follow the rules, we're going to get to heaven. And as we've already established, many feel that they will be judged based upon their works. And they assume as long as they're busy doing good deeds, God's going to accept them. Salvation is not 
something we do. It's already been done. And it's been done by Jesus who provided all the work on the cross. But not just there. He came back to life from the grave to conquer sin and death so that we can live and have eternal life. You see, we can't work for it. We can't earn it. We don't even deserve it. It's a free gift simply by putting our faith in Jesus and in Him alone. See, the Jews, in their arrogance, they got lost. The religious Jews, they refused to submit themselves to the, unto the righteousness of God found by faith in Jesus Christ. And they were descendants of Abraham, yes! And they were the chosen people, and they were adhering to the law of God, but they kept the holy ordinances. They saw no benefit of Jesus and so they refused to submit to the doctrine of salvation found in Jesus. And they refused to believe that they need anything other than keeping the law. Really, all disobedience is a result of our own arrogance. Those who refuse to accept Christ as the only means of salvation are in essence declaring that they don't need Him. They somehow believe that they can, they can make it on their own. They'll be good enough. How then does one submit to the righteousness of God on your own? Only by accepting God's way are we going to achieve it. Thereby abandoning all claims of self-righteousness of our own. The Bible clearly reveals that submitting to the authority and the provision of Christ is essential for our salvation. There is no other way to get to heaven but through Him. It was achieved not by our good works, but by His good works. It's not achieved by being a member of a certain church or by giving so much money to missions or even having a deep knowledge of Scripture. Salvation is found in Jesus. And we need to submit to Him for our salvation. Matter of fact, Peter was speaking to the people in, in Jerusalem and he said, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's Jesus. That's recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 4. There is no other name other than the name of Jesus that's going to offer you salvation. Paul ends this little section discovering this, that there has got to be this uncompromising requirement that God has. All right? So he tells us there in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's final. Christ is the end of the law. Now, in this passage specifically through the years, there has been a lot of faithful biblical scholars who have been concerned about the translation of this one word. And in my text here, it says the word end. And what does that word end mean? All right. The word is translated from the Greek, the word telos. 
And it, and it appears that it can be used in three different understandings within the Bible structure. All right? It can mean goal, it can mean fulfillment, or it can mean a, a termination or an end of something. All right? And without getting to a whole lot of grammatical and linguistical dialogue with you this morning, all right, we kind of look at these things. I, I, I've settled my understanding of this as well, and I'll just kind of give you where I have fallen on this. I've concluded that it should be used in a sense of almost two of these, that he is the end, in essence, the goal of the, of the law, but also it's, its end. And here's why I believe this. If Christ is the end of the law in the sense that he is its goal or aim, he's its intention or real meaning and, and a substance apart from him, it cannot properly be understood at all, then once the goal has been reached and once it has been achieved, there is no further need of the process to reach that goal. Okay? So if law remained in force as a condition for your salvation and righteousness, then righteousness and salvation cannot be extended to everybody, only to those who possess the law, which is the Jews. But Paul has been told by Christ personally, he wants the Gentiles, he wants you, he wants me. And if the law is still in effect, and Jesus is not the fulfillment, the end of it, and the, the goal to it, then we still have to be sacrificing after we have become a proselyte Jew, and we have been baptized, and we have been circumcised, and we have the ability then to go in and to worship in the Gentile court and pray that God will accept us. But that's not the case. See, the Jews continue to seek righteousness through adherence to the law. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He accomplished what the law could never do. The law could not save. It could only point towards Christ and condemn our sin. Christ, however, fulfilled fully fulfilled the righteous demands of God, and he satisfied it. Matter of fact, Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. So where the law was insufficient, Christ was sufficient. They will never need to be another sacrifice. Salvation is provided fully and completely at Calvary because of Jesus. Now, this unconditional requirement is laid here in verse 4 is this. It, it, it is universal. It's for everybody. It's not just for the Jews and it's not just for the Gentiles. It is for everybody. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, he says. This glorious salvation is available for all men, Jews and Greek alike. It's not based on works of merit, but is freely offered to everyone who wants to believe to receive it. Paul will write to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous for those who are 
perishing. But to us, to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Right? Aren't you glad that salvation isn't reserved only for the Jews? That you get to go to heaven too? Are you happy for that? I am. I'm excited that, that I'm going to get an opportunity that it's not just for the Jews, but it's for everybody. This is universal. Anybody who wants to put their faith in Jesus, they have this opportunity to receive God's grace in full and have the salvation, but it's only through His Son. However, this is still conditional. Salvation is available only to those who believe. It's so simple that any child can do it. But we've got to put our faith in Jesus. Salvation requires faith. We must believe upon Jesus that He is the one who finished the work on the cross and out of the grave so that we can have eternal life. I can't explain it all. And definitely I can't understand it all. But I thank God that I believe it. You know, if you've ever been, if you have never been saved, I don't know what more we can say. You've got to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You've got to believe in Him. That is the only way that you are going to be cleansed of all your sins. I mean, you can repent all you want. And do good. But that's not going to cut it. You've got to believe in Him. Understand that He is Lord. Confess Him as your Lord. Yes, you've got to repent and you've got to start doing good. That's all part of it. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to be buried in baptism. Because baptism is that, that unification where you're united with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You then are raised into a new life. But not to say, now I've done it all, I'm okay. You've got to continue to be faithful to God. Faithful. Since he is faithful to us, we are faithful to him. You see, like Paul, we need to have a passion for the people around us who are lost. Many people are deceived by different doctrines that are approached here by men in our world. Many are seeking to work out their salvation in hopes that all their good deeds are going to put them in a right position with God, but it's never going to happen. So let's pray that God touches their hearts, that maybe He encounters them on a road to Damascus, and they bow a knee before Him and they profess Him to be Lord. I want this church to be a church that prays for the souls of men. That we just don't pray that, you know, grandma has a good birthday. That daddy gets a new job. That Billy's broken arm heals. I mean, those are good prayers. But we need to be praying for something that is more significant than that. There are people, literally people in your family that are going to hell. Are you lifting them before God? 
Are you asking that he will find somebody to intervene in their life? If it not be you, somebody else who will share with them the gospel message so that they can discover who Jesus really is. Are your prayers filled with zeal for Jesus to change their life? For the Spirit to convict them of who they are and what they have done? Maybe you stand in need of salvation yourself, but I'm telling you, Jesus is ready to save. You just need to come to Him by faith. Surrender your life to Him. I want to give you that opportunity today. I don't care if you come forward while we're singing or if you meet me at the door on your way out or if you grab Alan or somebody else and say, I need to give my life to Christ. What do I need to do? No, it's not about what you do. It's what he did. All you need to do is die. Quit living for yourself and live for him. Let's pray. Father, I don't know where we are as people. I know where I am, and I know that I don't deserve to be standing here. And I definitely don't deserve to have an opportunity to stand in your presence. Father, I can't tell you I'm sorry enough, and it's not going to make it right. I can't, I can't be generous to a fault and buy my way there because I've already blown it. But I am thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that, that He loved me enough that He died on that cross for me. And that by His life that He now lives, He intercedes for me and he, he enables me to talk to you without guilt or shame because He's taken away my sin. And He's put a robe of righteousness that belongs to Him upon me to cover all my shame. Father, I know there are people here today that are just like me. And they need Jesus. Father, will they surrender? It's in His name I pray. Amen.